The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Then, besides all this, I have the daily burden of concern for all the churches. This is what kept him awake at night. He had taken the gospel to his own people who had rejected them, so he felt called by God to take it to the Gentiles. This only infuriated his own people more and more, and they became angry and jealous. Nothing was off the table, not even violence. At one point, he and Barnabas had been in the city of Lystra, where they had healed a man who was crippled since birth. Something strange happened in that moment where the people who witnessed this miracle didn't hail Paul and Barnabas as messengers of God, but they were hailed as gods themselves, the gods Zeus and Hermes. This confused Paul and Barnabas, so they hurriedly tried to communicate the gospel to those around them. And just in that moment, some Jews from the towns of Antioch and Iconium arrived in Lystra, and they agitated the crowds to the point of violence. Paul had been stoned so furiously by the people there that they dragged his body outside the city gates and left him for dead. As the other believers kind of gathered around Paul's body in mourning and sorrow and loss, Paul wakes up. And you can kind of imagine him kind of wiping the blood from his face and shaking the dust off of his clothes. And he walks back into Lystra, unafraid, unashamed. And a question that we have to ask ourselves is why? Surely, as Paul is walking back into Lystra, the words that God had said to Samuel and to Moses were on his mind. It's not, they're not rejecting you, they are rejecting me. Surely the words of Jesus was on his mind. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you. See, Paul had a mission and a purpose. Paul's mission and purpose was to faithfully proclaim the word of God regardless of the outcome. Whether people had deaf ears and hard hearts or whether they received the word with joy, this was Paul's mission. This was Paul's purpose. This is what he was about. And this is what we're going to talk about today in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you have your Bible with you, I would love for you to open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Maybe you have it on version. You can follow along there as well. Let's read together. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. Well, on its own, this seems like a completely ridiculous statement. I shared this a few weeks ago. It was what was on my mind the very first time I read through 1 Thessalonians. And I hit chapter 2, verse 1. That Paul was saying their mission in Thessalonica was not a failure. So again, I I flipped back to Acts 17 because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. 
And as I read through that story, it starts off pretty well. Three days in this, three synagogues in a row. People come to know who Jesus is. They accept him as the Messiah. And then there's this riot and they're forced to flee the community. That sounds preposterous to me that Paul would say that the mission was not a failure. So we have to ask why. What, for what reason is Paul saying this? Paul says this, you know that our visit to you was not a failure. Well, as we talked about last week in chapter 1, Paul described the impact, the effect, and the outcome of the received gospel and the lives of the people. They received the message with joy. The fact that Paul was chased out of town had nothing to do with whether or not it was a failure. It had everything to do with the way the message was received by the people. Paul said that they suffered and that they became an example to all of the believers in Greece, not just in Thessalonica, not just in Achaia, not just in Macedonia, but all over Greece. As Paul is in Athens, some people believe that 1 Thessalonians was written from Athens. Some people believe it was written in Corinth. Whether Paul is in Athens or in Corinth, anytime he talks about the church in Thessalonica, what he hears is that the gospel was received. This is how Paul looks into a situation and says, regardless of the physical outcome, this mission was a success. We've talked about this before. Paul is a great example of not, of not finding joy in his circumstances. There's something beyond our circumstances that we can point to. And they became an example to believers all over Greece. Let's read the next couple verses here. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see that we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. One of the things that we have to remember as we're reading through the Bible, especially as we're reading through a letter, is it's kind of like listening to one side of a phone conversation. What we're seeing here, what we have is what Paul has written. We don't really know all of the details of the things that were happening in Thessalonica. And we also have to remember that Timothy had been sent to Thessalonica. So they were there, they got kicked out, and later Timothy is sent by Paul to go and, go and check on them to see how they're doing. It's been weeks or months since, since this incident in Acts 17 took place. And Paul has the heart of a pastor, and he wants to know what's going on with his body in Thessalonica. So he sends Timothy. And Timothy comes back with a report. So one of the things that we have to do, because we don't, we don't have access to that report, we have this letter. So we can kind of infer and understand what, what was happening in Thessalonica. And I think this is something that we can infer. That Paul is writing this letter from, from a safe space whether it's in Athens or Corinth. And some people are saying, well, when, the, when it gets hard, Paul leaves. 
Paul has left us. Does Paul just want our money? Can we trust Paul? And one of the things as we read through the letters in the New Testament, what we see is Paul is constantly defending who he is. He's constantly defending his apostleship. He's constantly defending his position as a, as a pastor, as a teacher within the church. So there's a pretty good chance here that there are some, there are some there, Paul has a little bit of a reputation among the people in Thessalonica. And what's so fascinating is, is what Paul does next. He refers to the situation to his experience in Philippi. Rather than going into a long uh, diatribe, which he does elsewhere in Scripture about who he is, he talks about his experience in Philippi. And if, and if you read earlier in Acts 16, what you would have seen is there was a riot there in Philippi as well. Only Paul and Barnab- only Paul and Silas didn't get out of town so fast. In fact, they were arrested. The text tells us that they were severely beaten with rods in the marketplace, and then they were thrown into prison. They were freed from prison. But the fact that they went to Thessalonica and preached the same exact gospel gives integrity to the message. Because if Paul was just after their money, after being beaten with rods, after being thrown in prison, he's probably not going to the next town to share the same message, right? See, Paul has something bigger at stake here. Paul is not just just some religious cult leader who's trying to gain a following. What Paul is doing is he is sharing the words of God. Their motives were pure. Listen to what he says next in verses 4 to 6. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we never sought it from you or anyone else. The message that Paul is speaking is God's message. We're not out to make you happy. We're not out to tell you what you want to hear. God has a word for you. And that's the message, that's the, that's the gospel that we are going to share. And this is so critical for us. Not just church leaders, not just elders, not just pastors, not just team leaders, but, but as Christians. See, we, we have been given a message to proclaim. And the message that we are called to proclaim all of us, is God's message. It's not a message that's going to make people feel necessarily overly welcomed. A few months ago, our pastors listened to, we listened to a podcast together um, called On the Fear of Man. And it was described in two ways. The first way was being too aware of how people are going to respond to something we say from the front. Right? So, so as our pastors are, are preparing a message or a lesson, 
One way to do that would be, would be to do it in a way where we are too aware of how you are going to respond, either positive or negative. Does that make sense? I'm really concerned about how this person is going to hear this message. Or, I can't wait for this person to hear what I'm going to say on Sunday morning. See, that's, that's fear of man. That's fear of man. And here's the second thing. To not say things we should say or to say things we shouldn't. To not say things we shouldn't say or to say things that we shouldn't. I, that second one I've, I've been calling um, unnecessarily antagonistic. I don't, I don't want to be unnecessarily antagonistic, which means sometimes I'm going to be necessarily antagonistic. But here's the thing. God's word is necessarily antagonistic, isn't it? When we read the scripture and it confronts us and convicts us of our sin, the Bible is being necessarily antagonistic. It's revealing something to us. And in this podcast, Mark Dever, he's, the, he's one of the guys on the podcast. He was talking about a story, tells a story of a particular person who didn't like what he was doing. And this person came to him and said, if you don't stop what you're doing, I'm going to stop giving to this church and I'm going to give somewhere else. And his response, you don't want a pastor who listens to talk like that. Do you? Is that what you want? A pastor who who listens to those kinds of things? I don't have a story that's quite that good. But one of the things that, that I've noticed in my time in ministry, when I was in student ministry in particular, when we were in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, one of the things that happened in our student ministry over the years is we started to have larger and larger numbers of kids who are not from of kids who are not from church backgrounds come into our student ministry. And like I I had no idea what we were doing. I had no idea what I was doing in the midst of that, but we just had all of these unchurched kids coming into our student ministry and it was it was chaos, I'm not going to lie. Borderline anarchy. We're, we're trying to figure out like how we love and how we lead all of these kids who are coming because it's kind of the mission of the church to reach out to unchurched people, right? We know that. And then strangely, I, I had a couple sets of parents who came to me in the midst of that expressing concern and frustration because their kids were around those kids and that's the word, that's the phrase that was used. Our kids are around those kids, and this makes us uncomfortable. And as I tried to visit with those families, we talked about a couple things. Number one, we talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We talked about the way that, that as Christians, we have a responsibility to reach people where they are. To proclaim the truth of the gospel to people in the hopes that they might find hope and freedom through Jesus Christ. And again, like, that's why we're here. And, and, and what was sad was to see some of those families leave our church over that. 
Like I just, I, I couldn't wrap my mind around that. And I think there's a, there's a way, there's a way to preach the gospel and please people. There's a way to preach the gospel and have a, and have a fear of man. But that's not a true gospel. That's not the gospel that Paul and Silas preached. It's not the gospel that Timothy and Luke preached. We don't want to operate under this way. Paul's not out to flatter the people of Thessalonica. Paul's not preaching this message of the gospel so he can lead a comfortable life. He's not preaching this message of the gospel so the Thessalonians will have comfortable lives. Because the gospel message isn't comfortable, is it? When the Bible is necessarily antagonistic, the gospel is necessarily antagonistic. That's not going to lead to a comfortable end for us as Christians. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a responsibility. Earlier this week, I I came across this quote from a pastor named Shane Pruitt. The goal of the gospel is not to affirm you, to celebrate you, and accept you. The goal of the gospel is to rescue you, transform you, and redirect you. This is, this is the gospel that we needed to hear. This is the gospel that those, that those parents needed to hear. That the gospel is here to transform you and to redirect you. Our message that we teach and the message that we want all of you to teach here is a message of the gospel. And all we have to do to know whether or not it's, it's an accurate gospel message is to look to the fruit. We just have to look to the fruit. And when we read what Paul was saying to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1, the fruit was good. The gospel was being spread. It was going out. It didn't matter that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke had been chased out of town. The fruit was good. And for us as Christians, if we want to be faithful disciple makers, and if you're a Christian, you do want to be a faithful disciple maker. You may not know that. You may not believe that. But a faithful disciple maker wants to proclaim the faithful gospel message. We want to tell people the truth. And a question then that comes up is, well, okay, what does that look like? How do, we, how do we do that? How do we proclaim the truth? What does that look like for us? I love verses 7 to 12 in 1 Corinthians 2. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a way to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that, you, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. 
So how do we as Christians faithfully proclaim the message of Jesus? How do we proclaim the message of Jesus in a way where we're not operating under a fear of man? Where we're not concerned from a human standpoint about what people are going to think? It says here that Paul was undemanding. The NLT throws the phrase in there, like children. Some manuscripts say, like infants. And, and here's the thing. Paul was not a burden to the people in Thessalonica. He was not a burden to them. Paul was an apostle. Paul had seen the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. Surely Paul would feel like he had a little bit of privilege, right? Surely Paul would feel like he could go into town and kind of throw his weight around as an apostle. But that's not what he did. The text tells us that he was undemanding. Instead of throwing his weight around, he gave up his privilege. He gave up his sacrifice. So when you are making disciples and, and when you are telling other people about Jesus, don't be a burden. Don't be the person, don't be that Christian. You know who that Christian is? When they see you walking up and they roll their eyes, if they do that, you're that Christian. Don't be a burden to people. Be joyful. Be undemanding. Know when sometimes people actually want to hear the gospel and know when they don't. You know what? We've had enough conversation today. I can kind of feel as, and maybe these wouldn't be things you would say. But internally, you know, I feel like I'm making this person mad. I feel like I'm making this person anxious. I feel like I'm saying things and, and we're not going to have a productive conversation. So maybe I need to be undemanding right now. But Paul also said this. He cared and fed the people of Thessalonica. He shared his life and worked hard with them. Paul was not asking the people in Thessalonica to do anything that he was unwilling to do on his own. He was, he was in it with them. He was proclaiming the gospel with them. He was in the synagogue with them. We can sort of infer that Paul worked among them. We can guess that, that in town between Sabbaths, Paul was visiting people from the synagogue. Paul was visiting with people from the church, answering questions, asking questions, building relationships with them. He was sharing his life with them. He cared for them like a mother cares for her children. That's, that's the metaphor that Paul is using here. This is, this is a metaphor for us as we think about how do I share the gospel how do I talk to other people about Jesus? Well, I want to care for people like a mother cares for her children. Paul would later write this to the church at Rome. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. This was, this was Paul's model. Like a mother cares for her children. And something that we need to remember is that our non-Christian friends and co-workers and family members, they're not projects they're not projects 
You know what I mean by that? They're not, they're not someone that we're just trying to fix. Where the sole purpose of my entire relationship is to make sure that, become, that person becomes a Christian. Do we want people to become Christians? Yes. But if they don't, can't we just love them anyway? Can we just still spend time and be in relationship with people even if they don't accept Jesus? See, our job is to love and serve people. One of the things that, that I've noticed is that people make terrible Holy Spirits. You can ask my wife, I am a terrible Holy Spirit to her. And she knows this, she's an awful Holy Spirit for me. Like we're just terrible Holy Spirits. What we want to do is we want to let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and us care and nurture people and bring them along and feed them and give them what they need. And then here's the third thing that Paul talks about. He pleaded with, he encouraged, and he urged the people of Thessalonica to live in ways that God would consider worthy. What I love so much about that, there's lots of things I love about that. But he's talking about the way that God would consider them worthy. Because there's a way for us to live where, where we live in ways that we consider worthy. Our entire culture is built upon living in a way where we consider it worthy. But what Paul is, is telling, he's, he's reminding the people of Thessalonica, remember the context, they thought that there are some people that were saying that, that Paul was just trying to get their money. He wasn't in it for real. So Paul says, well, I was, I was undemanding. I loved and cared for you like a mother. And I pled with, encouraged, and urged you to live in ways that God would consider worthy. And the, the example that he uses is like a father. And my guess is, as you, as you read those metaphors and you, you spend time over this, and this is something I want to encourage you to do this week as you're reading through that, think about which one of those three ways is, is sort of your bent. Does that make sense? Like when you think about the way that, that maybe, maybe you make disciples of other people, maybe just the way you are, generally speaking, chances are you're either, you're either like a child, so very, so very undemanding, you're like a mother caring and feeding, or you're like a father who is pleading and encouraging and urging. And Regardless of what your bent is, I, I think that's okay, but what we are given here in the text is an image of all three. I want you to notice that Paul isn't just saying one of these things. It's almost as if, and this is just, as I'm reading, this is just what I think. This isn't what the Bible says. This is just what I think. But it's almost as if we're presented with three different ways so that we might seek to participate and function in all three different ways. Because with some people, I might, my bent is father, obviously, in case you haven't figured that out after six years. Okay, I know, like, I know what my bent is. But with some people, I need to be, you know what, I need to, I need to access that inner child. And I need to be undemanding. 
I need to access, this won't be very controversial in 2021, I need to access the inner mother, right? And I need to care and feed people. And sometimes I need to, I need to be the dad, right? When I'm, when I'm making disciples of people. And what I would encourage you to do this week as, you, as you're reading through this text and you're reflecting on this text, like which one of these three things is your bent? How is that helping you make disciples? Is there, is there another character maybe that you, need to, that you need to play? Man, I wish I was more... I wish I was more caring and feeding in the way I made disciples. Like, that's, man, that's me. As the dad, I wish I was more caring and feeding in this. As the dad, I wish I was more undemanding at times. And when we, when we do this and we reflect on it and we think about it, like, this is how we become made disciples. This is how we help other people grow in their own relationship with God. And I would encourage you to do that. So Paul then is, is telling them, he's reminding them of how he was. He's telling them what happened when he was there. And, and again, what's the outcome? To read verses 13 through 16. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received this message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They fail to please God and work against all humanity as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sins, but the anger of God has caught up with them at last. Here's, here's another prayer of thanksgiving for the people in Thessalonica. Paul's remembering back to his time with them. You received our words as God's words. You accepted those words as God's word. And that word continues to work. I want you to notice that they didn't, they didn't hear and accept the word and then stop. It didn't terminate when they heard it and they accepted it, but it continued to work. And this was demonstrated in the way that they imitated other believers. Imitated in their suffering. They heard this word. They received it with joy. They decided they were going to live their lives for Jesus. They were going to pursue Jesus. They were going to pursue Jesus with such tenacity that it was going to cause them personal discomfort. So that's how they knew that the word was working. Because they were being persecuted. It was their actions. And a question that we have to ask is, like, what is, what's the power of the word? As I thought about 
this message today. That's, that's what we call it, the power of the word. What's the power of the word? I want you to remember from last week that when Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, when they went to Thessalonica, they didn't just come with words. They weren't just speaking. The text tells us that they came in the spirit, the power of the spirit, and confident assurance. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, when they were reading in the synagogue on those three Sabbaths, they weren't just reading it. Or they maybe weren't only reading it. See, something else was taking place, and this was the importance of them throughout the week and teaching and instructing and answering questions and doing life with them. What the people in Thessalonica saw was more than words. What they saw was a group of people who were living an obedient life to God. And that was only through the power of the Spirit. And here's what we need to understand. Without the Spirit, all we have are words. Without the power, all we have are words. Without our obedience of confident assurance to living this out, all we have are words. And with the Spirit, and with power, and with confident assurance, like the words are unstoppable. Did you know that? Do you know that God's word is unstoppable? I laugh so hard whenever I hear people talking about how the church is going to, like finally, the church is going to go away. When people talk about how Christianity is being stamped out, and and maybe some of us have said those kinds of things. Oh, church is going to close. Church is going to go away. We're not going to be Christians anymore. Like, Have you ever read the Bible? This is is unstoppable. I've read the Bible, and the, the the last book tells us how it's going to end. There is an unstoppable message when we function with the Spirit, with power, and with confident assurance. It's unstoppable. See, Jesus told his disciples that they would be his witnesses. And do you know what a witness is? A witness is someone who sees something that happens and then tells what they saw to someone else. This is what we are called to do as witnesses. And this ought to be so freeing for us. Because if I'm, if I'm just up here or you're just where you are or I'm just where I am talking to people about the gospel of Jesus, what that means is I don't have to rely on clever words. I don't have to rely on my own, on my own personality. I don't have to rely on my memory. I don't have to rely on anything. I can just... Share the gospel. A couple weeks ago when Joe preached, and and I think he read all of Acts 2. Like my favorite thing about it was, man, he just read the gospel. He just read the Bible. And that's so freeing for us. Paul must have felt so free 
to be able to just share the good news and not rely on himself. And what we get to do as witnesses is just tell other people about the life change. That's all we have to do. That's it. You don't have to know where the dinosaurs went. You just have to teach the gospel. You just have to teach the good news. And this is freeing for us. And there are going to be people, and this is, we're going to read the, the next section, the final part in chapter 2 next week, because it really fits better in that section. But the last thing that we read here means that there are people who are going to be against us. There are people who are going to persecute us because of just preaching the gospel. And what Paul says is they're not pleasing to God and they're working against humanity. Their sins are piled up and God will deal with them in his wrath. So you know what that does? That frees me up that I don't have to worry about it. God's going to take care of those people. So I don't have to get into a tizzy about how people are going to respond or what they're going to think or how they're going to persecute or what they're going to say, what they're going to do. That wasn't what Paul was concerned about. That's what, that's what gave Paul the power and the strength just to, I can't even imagine, I can't imagine getting hit by one rock. Actually, I can. When I was a kid, we used to have rock fights, which is really dumb. But can you imagine being knocked unconscious and then just waking up and going back into town and seeing those same people? What makes somebody do that? The gospel. Confidence in the gospel. We just have to share it because it's powerful. There's an article that I put in the Uversion app this week. It was just called, Yes, Preaching Really Does Change People by Mike Bullmore. In it, he quotes one of my favorite verses. This is, this is Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Haven't we just seen that in the last few months here? Have you taken time to look at how green everything is? I mean taking time. I don't mean just driving by. I mean taking time. I'm to the point now where probably two or three times a week, I, take, I go the long way around the monument to get home and gearing. It's amazing. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So as much as Paul is likely lying awake at night, wondering if anyone is listening to the message, if his life has any meaning, has any purpose, if anyone even cares what he's doing on the Sabbath. He knows this text as well. And I think the thing that comforts him that we see demonstrated because he kept doing it is he knows that God's word doesn't return empty. 
It accomplishes what he purposes for it and will succeed in the thing for which God sent it. And this text for me has been such an incredible comfort. And not just, not just in my life as, as pastor at Westway Christian Church, but in my life with the people in my life that are not Christians. People that I've talked to. People that I've shared the gospel to. People that I've read the Bible with. People that I have prayed over. Like, I'm just trusting that this is true. That doesn't mean that everyone goes to heaven. It does mean that God's word doesn't return void and he's got it and he's under control and that means I don't have to be. So in the middle of the night when this pastor wakes up or that pastor wakes up or that pastor wakes up or that elder wakes up and we're consumed by the burden of Westway Christian Church. My move is to get up, I drink a cup of coffee, and I open my Bible to that text. And I remember that God's word doesn't return void. And I remember that what we're going to do on a Sunday morning is we're just going to preach the gospel. And we're just going to see what happens. We're going to rest in God. We're going to trust in God. And it will do you well. As you feel burden and concern for all of your friends and neighbors and relatives who aren't Christians. And you so badly want them to become followers of Jesus. It will do you well to remember that text. That God knows what he's doing. That means I don't have to. I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. He is. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for who you are. I'm thankful that you are in charge. I'm thankful that your word doesn't return void. It always accomplishes what you set it out to do. And I would pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged by this. That we would desire to be proclaimers of your word that we would find satisfaction in proclaiming your word. We would find satisfaction in obedience to it, in the hopes and the desire that people would respond with joy. Because your word is the word of life. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.